0: All right. what an episode we have lined up for you all today it is with the greatest of pleasures that we welcome back our friend back to the dark mode podcast it's everyone's favorite doctor uh, it's dr chase cunningham thanks for joining us my friend
1: yeah back on dark mode i love dark mode oh
0: hey. well there's the uh thank that's it back. we don't need any more thanks for that uh thanks little for listening. grab there chase thank you uh great <laughs> episode
1: look more, uh, one, right, right, right. there you go done done <laughs>
0: I, uh, I just want to set the scene again for some of the newest members of uh, of the Dark Mode community and run through a small highlights reel of the man that is Dr. Zero Trust. Uh, so Chase is a former Navy chief cryptolo- cryptologic technician, say that five times fast, with over 13 years of decorated surf- service to the U.S. Navy, thank you, sir, uh, alongside some secondments to the NSA and uh, FBI cyber amongst uh, others. After service, Chase further honed his craft as a chief threat intelligence lead before finding his place as a principal analyst at Forrester. During his time at Forrester, Chase founded the Zero Trust Extended Framework that many organizations globally rely upon with their Zero Trust strategy. Chase is widely regarded as one of the most influential and aspiring minds within this cybersecurity community. Thank you for coming back, Chase.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. This, uh, you, know, you guys are fun, so it's, it's great to be on something where we actually get to enjoy it rather than just the same old, like, Cyber good hacking bad stuff part <laughs>
0: hey
1: Siri, change oh, the show praying. notes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I no, appreciate it, Chase. Honestly, I know that your time is uh is is invaluable, and uh, you seem to be floating about the place all over, uh, all over town. So, we appreciate you joining us again. Uh, and I hope I did you some justice in that small little highlights reel. Did I miss anything that you, we should add in there. Is there anything that the, 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 the crew should know?
1: Like slong walks on the beach, uh, Nicaraguan cigars and rye whiskey. I don't know, whatever. I like
0: that. I did have in here role, podcaster, advisor, board member, and general badass. Uh, I thought that was probably one that I did not throw <laughs> yeah, in there. Cool too. Yeah, to like that. <laughs> So firstly, I just wanted to, to get an update. What's new in the world of The Doctor? Um, there's been a few changes for you recently. So uh, give us what's new in the world.
1: Yeah, it was kind of cool. I managed to help, uh, I guess, be part of a, uh, an exit with a company, which for me was like a career kind of thing. Of, I always wanted to go through the exit process, so that was cool. Um, my advice would be don't exit a company during the worst economic downturn in 40 years because it's cool. not exactly the smartest thing in the world. But hey, it's an exit, so you can put it on the old uh, resume um so yeah that was the, that was that uh working on a couple of books um doing a bunch of advising and a bunch of uh work with different organizations and then still continuing to try and push the zt uh, mantra three through uh everywhere i can get it and i i've been having calls with folks in um, uh, australia recently in africa uh, india so i mean it's pretty global that's amazing
0: and uh all that it's running your own podcast uh, running your weekly-ish updates, and uh, it is uh, 0711 for those military type. I uh, yeah. appreciate you throwing that one in there as well. Um, yeah. So you yeah. exited during the worst uh, economic crisis uh, that we have. I just wanted to uh, just show the the, the crew, if uh, for everyone that is on uh, uh, the piece here. Let me just share this screen.
2: This is the highly this anticipated a- part of, of this episode, yeah. Ben. I know I can, is, see, uh, I can see it in your eyes. This is Chase's new
0: office. Yeah. yeah unfortunately that's when exactly you're, i i'm multitask yeah you know? what happens when you exit a, exit a company during the economic process to <laughs> you find yourself yeah. multitasking right.
1: i mean i you can see there i can't even afford good toilet paper like that's the cheap <laughs> stuff yeah that's CEO plot yeah
2: or a toilet paper holder it's just exactly after. right i mean <laughs> very effective yeah
1: it's uh when you need to stay in the office that's the best way to do it <laughs>
0: Oh dear. So at least we know where Jace is dialing in from right now. We appreciate
1: it. Exactly. Yeah. This I is all this is all digital background. I'm good at deep fakes, So, you never know.
2: <laughs>
0: so yeah, <laughs> you, you mentioned that you've exited uh, a company Chase. Uh you mentioned you're writing some more books. I uh I was just telling uh, the crew before we started uh, uh, filming is uh, this is one of Chase's um fiction books which is phenomenal so if you haven't given this a read please uh get this on amazon give it a read chase was kind enough to uh write something in at the front for me uh, a long time ago so uh ben you suck too good i want to point
2: out as well um then the title of the book is fantastic so chase it is for those just watching the book is gabriel too good (laughs) Yes. tell us about the books you're writing at the moment chase love to Well,
1: number one is i'm doing a sequel to gabriel because that that one was um I found it really hard to write a, a fiction book because everything comes out of your head, you know? So like, I got tons of respect for people that write that stuff on the regular, but it was also kind of hard. Cause I didn't want to write like just some crazy gobbledygook black mirror, Netflixy type thing. Like I wanted to write something that was actually, uh, possible. So that was kind of hard, but also kind of cool. And I, I intentionally made that book short because if it sucked, I didn't want everybody to say, why did you waste the years of your life writing this piece of trash? And so far it's been, Hey, this is actually pretty cool. So I'm working on part two of that one, which is, um, I think I'll have that one out like September, October timeframe. And then I I have a contract with Wiley publishing to write a book. Uh, And maybe this is a, I don't know, an indicator of just the type of person I am, but it's literally how not to lead. Um, It's, it's a book about all the jackasses i've worked with and the kind of people that i don't think should be running organizations so that maybe somebody will read it and go hey i shouldn't do those things um just because i consult so much and i always read books about like how to be an amazing person and tony robbins will make you a billion dollars and well, i was like where's the book about the idiots um and so That's i figured so- i'd write it yeah
2: that's an interesting observation. I think Ben, I was telling you a couple of years ago that some of my best leadership lessons—and we're all ex-military here—but you know, in those early formative years, I was like, I learned a lot about leadership through seeing the bad leaders because you oh, see yeah. very quickly, oh, do not do that. Hand on hot stove—that is not the way to lead. Any pro tips, Chase, that you're writing about, just at a high level, I'd be really keen to to hear about them.
1: This thing was—I—I—I um, I, I call it the, the currencies of leadership, and it's. Uh, One is trust, another is respect, and a third is time. And I don't think a lot of people take those into account. And I actually did a little bit of a survey to kind of validate that I wasn't just sniffing my own farts, but it was really like to go off and ask, what is the most valuable thing that an employee would want from a leader? Um, And it boiled back to those two things, which was they want to be able to trust them, but they also want to know that that person's going to value value time and i hadn't really thought about time as a currency but when you step back like that's the only thing i can never get more of and if you take it from me for no reason that's a problem and people do that all the time without realizing it so i i thought that that to me was one of those things of if you're not gonna rob somebody don't rob them of time or their trust in you
2: yeah i Really enjoy those insights. I think trust as well, it underpins everything and that's really shown through actions and behaviors and that efficacy really shines through in good leadership, but, but of course, as we we're talking about bad leadership as well.
1: I think it's really because there's not really much of a middle ground. You usually run into either good or bad, you know?
2: Extremes. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. Big time. But there's only
1: a few times that I can
0: say that, that that leader that I worked with in the military, for example, was, he was an okay leader, but that generally meant that it was terrible. Just a yeah. polite way of saying it. Um, right. I there's, say there's, a lot that,
2: yeah, that's you
0: know, it. Right. Uh, I say a lot that time is the only quantifiable measure of life. It's the only true quantifiable measure of life. And I think leadership has to hone that uh, as a piece. But if you're writing an idiot's guide to idiots uh, and idiot leadership, it um, probably needs to come <laughs> with a forward that, that's, uh, that is like a, a statement that says if you walk away after reading this book and think that you're God's gift to leadership, you probably shouldn't be doing what we're writing in this book because I feel like a few people could read it and just that God complex just continues
1: to grow well and uh I don't know if you guys ever heard the term in the Aussie military but in the in the navy we we talked about dumpster chickens and mushroom farmers and I wrote chapters on dumpster chickens and mushroom farmers so so mushroom what are the concepts for
0: Check. Yeah, mushroom farmer for those give,
1: a, give us the um, Yeah. So one leadership trait that I've discovered that's very common is mushroom farming. And what I mean by that is keeping your people in the dark and feeding them shit and then hoping that they grow. Um, And that happens very often. I think people would probably say that that's a real thing. And the dumpster chickens, we also call seagulls, but dumpster chickens, they call, 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 fly in, crap all over everything and fly away. And you're sitting there going like, that was not helpful. So I wrote two chapters, literally one of them's on dumpster chickens and one's on mushroom farming.
2: On the they are great analogies, but just if we dive down into the leadership domain, and I mean, there's so so much business literature on this topic. But on the contrary, Chase, have you got any words of wisdom for leaders as to like how not to become those tu- those archetypes? I think overcommunication like comes to mind for me.
1: I mean, I think communication's one, but also was just to always like remember where you came from, because I think a lot of people start kind of feeding on their own. uh, success, and then they wind up just like running things ragged and it's good for the business, but like at the end of the day, the business is a machine and the people are the gears. And if you start grinding the gears teeth off, things don't turn. Big time. One for me
0: is, uh, it's self-awareness, self-reflection. Uh, that to me is, is a critical piece of leadership too. If you don't have that capability, then you're probably leading down the wrong path.
1: Yeah, I've got a, another chapter in there called Microscope or Mirror, and I like to ask people, what are you looking through? Most people look through a microscope, they never look in a mirror, and it's like, you're missing the real problem here.
2: Nice. Wait, 10, that's, 10 that's... minutes,
1: 35 seconds into recording,
0: and I've got about 35 new analogies to use as I walk away from this conversation.
2: Time well spent, Ben. <laughs> <Stop> <laughs> yeah, <fun> yeah. <laughs> language, whatever. <laughs>
0: can we amend chase's uh title down the bottom there go to og of uh, analogies please that's uh done just add that into to, to the piece there i might add that to your wiki as well Chase. so
1: yeah when i when i die put that on my tombstone
0: okay. um so you've written a few books before and and i think as of a result of the the last uh episode that we had with you many, many moons ago. It was almost 12 months to the day, actually. So as a result of the last one, a, a few of, uh, of, of my close friends bought your, uh, your principles of uh, Zero Trust um, as a result of, uh, and they wished to send their thanks across the, the ditch to say thanks for that because it has helped them formulate what is now a, an embedded practice within their organization. So uh, they do send their love for that one. So keep on uh, writing and
1: keep on doing what you do because it is impacting people for the better. I appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, it's um, you're never going to make money off of writing books, but it's nice when somebody does say, "Hey, we read your stuff." Yeah.
0: Hey, uh, just one other thing before we move on to some of the topics of discussion today, we did see that you have joined forces uh, with Traceable, uh, and you have uh, become an advisor alongside your good friend, mentor, and fellow safeguarding of zero trust in John Kindervag, helping to define the intersection of API security and zero trust. That sounds
1: uh, exciting. Yeah, I mean, um, I. I i think traceable is doing interesting stuff because the api i really think is is kind of what the network is now and i don't know that a lot of people have grasped that like you don't you don't actually typically even bother with the network most of the time like if you can put firewalls and segmentation up you kind of call it good but apis are this constantly changing ever dynamic ethereal thing that all applications are developed on nowadays and We've been literally looking at the problem and going zero trust, zero trust, zero trust, and someone was in the back screaming APIs. And We were like, "Yeah, shut up!" And <laughs> now it's well. Wait a minute, APIs are a thing. So I think, in my opinion, I think like just like we talked about, um, identity was the new per- the new perimeter. I think APIs are the network now.
2: That is that's a gr- that is a great perspective chase. That I mean, even as a tagline, that is something that could be really you could. Go on a big I road should, show yeah. about that. Like that's.
1: Uh, I should go trademark that and get my royalty money. We should absolutely. <laughs> yeah. The I API just, is yeah. the
2: new network. That's <laughs> nice. That's yeah. Well, it just brings it, brings it to the limelight a little bit more hard hitting because you, there's a lot of buzz around some of the newer um, trends and where, and we know that the whole narrative around perimeterless security in particular has been around for so long, <laughs> but it's like, what's that hard hitting truth now? And I feel like that really sums it up nicely.
1: Yeah. And I mean, the the goal is to, um, I think we're seeing a trend of it starting to begin, but the goal is really to remove security from people that aren't doing security because yeah, it's not fair to developers to say, hey, write code and make amazing apps. But oh, by the way, also do the security crap. Because I I'm a security guy. If you ask me to write an app, I'm going to tell you where to put it. Like, I'm not going to go do it. So we need to change the way that we do this stuff to make it better for everybody. I think too, that's why you're finally starting to see people realizing that like browser isolation and stuff is probably a better investment than training. Um, it's not that you shouldn't train your people, but like relying on humans to be the control is not a smart thing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Bang on. Can we go a little deeper into that topic just quickly? I mean, Ben, firstly, do you have any thoughts around that new paradigm shift just personally from your perspective?
0: No, I think it's a great way to, uh, To verbalize what is known and should be known is the API of the new network. I just think that's phenomenal. I wrote it down as soon as you said it. Um, APIs have been front of mind for, in my opinion, not long enough. Uh, Everyone has been leveraging APIs. No one has understood the the expanse of where APIs start and where they finish within their organization, let alone the third, second and third order effects of APIs. Um, We saw a really big breach that was as a result of uh, poor API management with Optus here down under. Uh, and still to this day, people aren't taking API security uh, and the awareness of APIs and the security uh, that should be attributed to that seriously enough.
2: So, what, what do you think? Chase is like the the key paradigm shift that needs to come about for organizations and leaders when it comes to this domain of security.
1: I mean, the real the real thing that I think I'm starting to see just a little bit of a ripple in the pond with it is that's good is that people are starting to realize it's not actually about um how well your defense stands up it's about response or mediation and it's about dealing with the reality of where the compromise is going to come from cuz we've we built this concept called defense in depth which really is expense in depth and we never actually lined up on where you do things based on the reality of the compromise and now folks are starting to go like well wait a minute uh, the days of me being a CISO and getting this open budget are gone i've got to be smarter with what i'm doing well, where would I put my money? Well, it's going to be where the bad guys are trying to come after you. Um, And that if you're not willing to face that reality, you are just doing the Kentucky windage thing and hoping you're better off than all the other 700 organizations that tried it the same way.
2: The emphasis on resilience as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, you're going to get hit. Um, I it, mean, it's a given, right? So, I mean, it's play the statistics. So what are you, you know, death taxes and cybersecurity, like those three things are basically a given. <laughs> That's the title of one of your books. I like that one, Death Taxes and Cybersecurity. Um, I'm
0: sure we'll cover this more in, in the next uh, piece here, Chase, uh, because I, I have a feeling that API is going to feature quite heavily in what I'm about to ask you, but I mentioned before, it's been almost a year to date that we recorded our first episode with you in terms of when well, technology terms, 12 months is as good as dog years. So it equals about seven. Uh, and every year the US president delivers a State of the Union address, uh, which is broadcast across the globe, funnily enough. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> the question.
2: <laughs> <I have some laughs>
0: no comments. Give us the Dr. Zero Trust, Dr. Chase Cunningham's inaugural State of the Union address in terms of where are we at 12 months on?
1: a strategy is being adopted. People are still focusing on technologies, solving the problem at scale incorrectly, I guess would be the the best way to put it. Right. I mean, we're seeing a lot, like you said, we're seeing a lot of folks dive in on ZT and ZT is globally becoming a very realistic thing. And there's, yeah, there's sure there's haters, whatever I could care less. Like there's always haters for stuff, but it, it really is making a difference for organizations strategically. However, They still are like, okay, ZT is our strategy. And then they go, well, what tech does ZT? And it's like, you're no, like, that's not the way to think about this. Like, ZT is your strategy. That's your North Star. Okay, cool. Now, what's one problem you can solve with technologies that are aligned to enable the strategy and start walking your way towards that and just continue to get small victories as you march forward? Like, it's a, it's a war of attrition, and people are looking for the Oppenheimer moment, and that's not going to happen. Are we seeing too many,
0: and this is, a, this is just going to be a broad, generalized, sweeping statement, uh, too many organizations stuck in that planning phase, that strategy mode, and not enough organizations just
1: digging deep and getting hands dirty in the
0: execution phase?
1: Well, what's really interesting is the organizations that you don't see that are not showing up in the news anymore for having the same, same systematic failures that they did for years on end. Those are the orgs that are diving in on the strategy side and starting to put things in place. Like remember Google, they got their ass handed to them with Operora. You haven't heard anything from Google in years. Why? Because Google put Beyond Corp, which is their version of ZT in place. Like there's organizations that are doing this and they're seeing the value from it. And to Gabe's point, they're not not having a breach but they're able to respond and remediate and get past it and deal with it and get better every time. I think people beat up on the Twitter breach, but the Twitter breach was actually a good instantiation of like, look, when things go wrong, if you have stuff architected correctly and you respond correctly and you have good cognizance of the network, they fix the problem really fast for a really large organization. So yeah, they got breached, but so what? Like, that's the thing. I, you know, you can take a punch on the chin as long as you're still standing or I mean it'll take your eight second count if you got to but get back up.
2: Nice one Chase. Hey 12 months ago when you joined us on Dark Mode you were pretty vocal about the role of the CISO communicating up to the board removing the technical jargon and really understanding the business value drivers and being able to hold their own in and amongst that C-suite community and then therefore up to the board of directors. Bennett even you know Inspired you to reconsider studies away from I think, a master of cybersecurity into a master of business administration, which was really exciting. But Chase, a question for you: we're, we're sort of seeing this come to fruition a little bit more down under. Are you are you seeing in your experience that communication skill up to the board and um, that sort of shift happening from the CISO level? Is it effective? Is it is it starting to come to fruition a little bit more?
1: Uh, I think we've like this the. People finally got a seat at the table, right? They're at least invited to the conversation. Um, I don't know that I have enough, I guess you call it empirical data to say whether or not it's a trend that's taking place more, but there was a report that was published this week that was really disconcerting that they came out, I think it was Forbes or somebody and said only 14% of CISOs were qualified to have board positions. And I was like, what the hell is a board qualification? Is there some. I don't know, test you take, or do you get like a certification to be all boardy? That's just stupid. (laughs) And all they're doing is hurting themselves. So, like, the
2: yeah,
1: I I think there's some people in the board room that are starting to sweat a bit because they're bringing CISOs in and they're not hearing what they want to hear, which is probably what they need to hear. And that makes them figure out, well, can we kind of slow roll this a bit, which is not, not the right way to do it.
2: Ben, you picked that up actually in, in the prep for, the, for this episode, that exact start. Did you have a similar response to seeing that? Yeah, I was shocked. a <laughs>
0: Yeah, I've <I> seen, <laughs> and I hope this person doesn't take offense because I know that they are, they are part of the community, but someone did a course through LinkedIn that was certified chair. And my response is, whether well, you have four legs, you've got a platform and a backrest or, uh, but apparently that is a qualification <laughs> to sit on a board and therefore share it. Um, but its I was shocked reading that. 14% of CISOs hold the necessary traits. It's not even qualification, it's traits. I would love to have a definition of what those traits are. And I, uh, again, I come back to, to what we talked about in in the first episode we had you on, Chase, is is understanding business value drivers, business, uh, holding a business-led conversation. Uh, um, do you think that's what the traits that the that, that, that Forbes article is talking about and that CISOs are potentially missing in order to get there? Or is it just due to, Uh, they're looking at the CISOs and thinking they're bringing some FUD with them, uh, without seeing beyond the narrative.
1: I think like you're saying, like they're the, the thing that they're probably concerned about is that the CISO is going to come in there and be the, uh, the department of no rather than the department of go. And nobody wants that in business. I mean, that's, you know, you, you go take all your business classes. That's all they teach you, right. Is how to grow and how to gain revenue, whatever. And you can't have anyone say, this is where things go wrong. Um, so they're, they're looking at the CISOs and going, ah, I don't know. Cause you're probably not going to tell the board that everything is amazing. And we smell like, you know, puppy breath and whatever. And it just, it just is kind of an unwelcome conversation. Um, but it doesn't mean they don't need to hear it. And shareholders, if it's a public company, you certainly deserve to know the truth of what's going on. Yeah, I would rather have a like hundred times tell me what's wrong than tell me what's amazing. You know what I mean? Like I can't. If it's amazing and going great super well done but i really want to know where the problem lies in your role as an advisor across some of these organizations do does the board ever ask what does a good CISO look like and how does a good CISO report to us most of the time when they talk to me they ask they usually will take inputs from a CISO and they actually will ask me to kind of be an outside uh you know agent to look at it and say is this actually a real thing or does this make sense and i think that that's perfectly fine, to be honest, you would expect that with financial reports or anything else as well. So that's usually how I get brought along, uh, into it, but I have, I've not had a whole lot where it's been, um, the CISO is kind of deeply involved in board level decisions. They're usually involved in board level conversations, which makes sense. But then again, I mean, at the end of the day, you're going to make a decision based on something. That that conversation needs to be had for
0: me. It's uh, We're a new element to the board conversation. We shouldn't be a new element because this has been a problem for decades, but we still seem to be that new conversation for board to have and the board needs to be, and this is my opinion world according to Ben, educated on the not just the impact of cybersecurity, but the uh, the ability to uplift business processes. Uh, and support scalability, support M and a support all these, you know, business value drivers that are necessary for the growth of a business. But it seems like we're still stuck at stage one.
1: Yeah. I mean, we got a seat at the table. I think the seat will get better over time a bit, but we're, we're starting to get the, the reality of impact from folks to get them to understand that this is not just a doom FUD type thing all the time. Like it's real and there's quantifiable metrics to say. You know, if you do these things, you'll lose customers and revenue. And that's talk that folks at that level will understand and respond to.
0: What's, uh, what's one question you wish a board asked you or asked to see so?
1: I, my first thing that I always say is, uh, I would love for them to be like, well, when was our last red team exercise? Because if they haven't done a red team exercise, where do they, how do they possibly know what their defensive posture is? Um. Oh, we've done a pen test. I don't mean a pen test. Oh, we, I don't mean a scan, and I don't mean some dude giving you five IPs that you can go after that they've already hardened so that they look good on a deal, on a, you know, email report. I mean, a full-on red team, just like you would expect from an adversary. And if you haven't done that, you are unwilling to face the reality of your defensive posture. Just Straight like to the chase. Yeah, being a black belt yeah. that's never been in a street fight, it ain't going to go well for you.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's plenty. So it's Chase, I wanted to um, get I wanted to switch tack a little bit and just get your overview and your opinion on the Verizon data breach report. Now out for the, is it the 15th year or yeah. 10th, thereabouts? You know, pretty strong of- running nonetheless. Yeah. yeah.
0: I mean, I'm trying to some stats, Chase, because uh, I think that'll lead into to where this is going. The, the stats on the front page of the Verizon right. data breach investigation report read, 83% of breaches involved external actors. Is anyone shocked <laughs> by that? Uh seventy-four <laughs> percent of breaches involved the human element. Is anyone shocked no. by that? Fifty percent of all social engineering attacks are pretexting incidents, nearly double last year's total.
2: <laughs>
0: They're the three stats that come off on the Cut front page front
1: lead in. By the way, uh financial motivation is seventy percent like it has been for the last like ten years in a row. I mean, It's the same stuff, different day. It just continues along the lines. And I think that that, like that to me is the most troubling trend. I I personally think, I love the research that Verizon does. I think they do really good stuff with the DBR, but it to me is a biblical reference. Like if I was gonna worship at the altar of cyber, I would be holding up the dibber as my, you know, tome of knowledge. Um, And I don't think that it makes me feel warm and fuzzy that the trends just keep doing the same thing. Whether that means they're taking in more data and it's kind of diluting the overall perspective or we're not actually getting any better to me is what really concerns me. Um, Cause like Ben's saying, like you can look at the data and if your doctor walked in and gave you your fast 3 blood tests and every time cholesterol kept getting like this, you know, static, you would say, oh, I should probably address my cholesterol. But instead you wouldn't go, oh, well I need to go have, I don't know, knee surgery. I'm,
2: what? <laughs> Something doesn't line up here.
1: I mean, yeah, it's not like, it ain't rocket surgery like we say from Texas, you know.
0: The, the big one in here too is, uh, <laughs> and I know I'm, I seem to be shitting on this report. It's a good report. I do enjoy reading it every I year. your a treat. But <laughs> the bad guys are clever, persistent, and too often successful. 49% of breaches by external actors involve the use of stolen credentials, while phishing made up 12% of external attacks. So, what, so okay. be, if you're, if you're reading this, I'm putting myself in, in the shoes of a CISO or someone that, that is responsible for security in an organization, what takeaways am I getting away from this chase?
1: First off that passwords will eat your lunch every day and twice on Sunday. So do something to deal with the password, like MFA at the very least password, less biometrics, etc., etc. Number two, probably look at the budget you have for phishing training, cut it in half And then go put at least half of that budget in technical controls in front of the people that continuously fail phishing training. Like there (laughs) you go. And oh, by the way, the third thing I would do is everyone that has PowerShell that is not an admin, go turn it off. Like congratulations.
0: I'm so shocked that that's a thing that people still have access to PowerShell. You know, every time
1: I done. do, I, I do speeches and stuff. And every time yeah. I do one, I, I start out and I say, you know, I'm a, I usually do it with all the people that are in mm-hmm. the room So I say, how many people here care about security? Of course, everybody's hand goes up. I say, okay, cool. Pull your phone out. Everybody pulls their phone out. I say, how many folks have got more than 10 patches on your phone? You need to push right now. Everybody's <laughs> hand goes up. And then the next thing I say is how many people in here have got PowerShell? I say, go on your computer and type in PowerShell. Everybody's hand goes up and I'm like, you folks either don't care about security or you're being lied to because the controls you need have not been pushed to your devices. And usually all of a sudden after the fact, people want to talk like it's it's that simple. Mm. There you go.
2: It's amazing how simplified it can be when you break it down like that, Chase. But there seems to be a really good over baking of complicating the world of where to go.
1: I mean, it's it's not. It's because there's so much money in this space, and because there's so much potential win that like the market has created this cyclic sort of thing where everything will always be better with the next solution. And if you're an adversary, you're just sitting there like watching the cats run around like they've been smoking meth all day, going cool. All I got to do is follow the the herd. You know, the next easy thing here, and just because everyone's solving for Chat GPT enabled. Malware analysis or whatever the hell, he's Jump done
2: to trains. It's gonna,
1: <laughs> we've just hit bingo. There's the AI mentioned.
2: So We're yeah. gonna talk about it
1: now, Chase, because we've okay. mentioned <laughs> AI and chat GPT. So, <laughs> what yeah. are your it's thoughts on the current
0: state of AI and chat GPT, Chase? And it's not AI, it's the, the, the biggest thing. Version?
1: Right. I mean, that's what folks that, and that's part of the problem is it's being marketed as AI and people are like, oh, cool, Hal and RoboCop are going to come in and fix my network. And it's like, no, it's really just large language modeling and you can ask it questions and it'll spit back some really good responses. So like, that's part of the problem you guys were kind of hinting at is the, the market keeps driving adaptation to these new sexy, cool things. And like you just said a minute ago, Ben. I don't need ChatGPT to go fix shitty passwords. You know what I mean? Like I don't, but it sure sounds nifty. Um, give me a ChatGPT koozie at RSA or something.
2: He gets the attention. That's like, you know, if yes. people have that recognition around seeing that, seeing that trend or what, what's the latest and greatest, but I think it, I think it's not easy for people uh,
1: Ozempic for cyber. That's what it is. You heard that term?
2: Say that Have
1: You heard of Ozempic for cyber? Ozempic, no. Yeah, Ozempic is a is a medication now that you can take that will basically kill your appetite and make you lose weight like crazy. And it was developed originally for people with diabetes, but yeah. problem is, you're not actually changing the way that you eat or anything else you do for health, and you're going to wind up still dying of God knows what because you're eating, mm-hmm. you know, 100 hohos a, a week or whatever. But you're you're just sucking down those Ozempic to offset that that weight gain. I so to na- know what to another great analogy.
2: It sounds quite... Sounds
1: delicious. <laughs> oh, you do not have Pop Tarts over there, do you? No. Tell me, when you were here in the US, did you get a Pop Tart? Yeah, that's the thing okay. you put in
0: the toaster and it's got like yeah. weird jammy stuff on the inside. Yeah, it's, it's really amazing,
1: good. right? Yeah. Is that what a ho ho is? Uh, no, a ho ho is like a uh, chocolate wrapped uh fat pill, basically, and you just shove it in your face with frosting. It's pretty awesome.
0: Is it called a ho ho? Because it's like what Santa says. <laughs> <laughs>
1: There's Uh, a reason Americans are fat, but uh. (laughs)
0: stop it. But in terms of the broader aspect, uh, moving away from chat GPT, AI as it stands, thoughts, is it it going to be the existential threat to uh, humanity that Mo Gaudet is uh, is preaching? Or is it uh, it something less sinister and there is uh, certain optimism from the lens of Chase Cunningham?
1: I mean, I think that there's really good applications of it doing really good things for humanity way before it becomes, you know, a Skynet going rogue. Um, like I've been reading a lot about the, uh, studies where they're comparing human radiologists versus AI systems for detecting cancer in patients. uh, And it's, and the the systems are doing way, way better, like, like blowing them out, out of the park type better. So I think that those things are interesting. I would personally love for, uh the U.S. government or any government to start applying those types of models to like the taxation laws so that we could figure out where these weird tax things happen and actually balance the budgets because you could. Um, So to me, like those are where the real benefits lie. Um, But I mean, is it possibly dangerous? Sure, Uh, but we're a long way off from the singularity that people keep freaking out about.
2: Big time. Yeah, we just caught up and spoke about this yesterday. In fact, Chase, between Ben and I, on our next sort of solo episode. And yeah, there's a lot of hype and fud around it. Of course, we sort of naturally go that way, something that really jeopardizes our top spot on the hierarchy as a species and that sort of thing. So it's just interesting where the sci-fi narrative can take us, but I do personally believe that we're way, way away from that. We're tripping up on AI and large language models at the moment, Yet alone coming to something that is you know, holistically super intelligent than the capabilities that we're able to portray. So just really interesting where, where the yeah, imagination go. goes. Yeah. Yeah, we, yeah. We keep
1: talking about, uh, artificial intelligence. I would love to cure natural stupidity. Like that would be great.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <If they're not laughs> right enough, on the inverse. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think that the applications for, for AI are endless and, you know, Gabe and I, at the end of our conversation yesterday, we've. We, we always try to be optimistic about things, but it's it's more of a, a heavier weight on optimism than it is uh, fear or uncertainty and doubt. That's for sure about AI and the implications of that. We went through and defined some of the pretext that is around AI in terms of the, the different modeling of AI. And I think it will come as a bit of a surprise to people that artificial narrow intelligence is changing their lives as we see it in today. Siri, uh, uh, you know some of the curated feeds and things like that is a form of AI and narrow AI. And so for me, the implications of AI are slowly encroaching on the way that we evolve as a species and therefore it's only going to be to the betterment, the betterment, that's a new word, F- write that one down. The betterment, betterment and detriment. I just mixed two completely opposite words in one that was phenomenal. And so the betterment of humanity, I'm excited for, for what is to come, especially when you look at things like
1: BMIs and, uh, and the likes. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's plenty of good things that can come out of it that I'm looking forward to rather than the, I'm not concerned. Yeah.
0: Chase, the last one I wanted to talk to you about is uh, MSSPs um, or managed uh, security uh, providers. So you you put a post out a couple of days ago that you believe that organizations should be looking towards MSSPs as, uh, as a service uh, to, to uplift their current security posture and their ongoing future of give us the insights to to what that post or that was spurred on uh, and why you believe that um, that that organizations should leverage.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, the reality of it is you can be partially in on doing security. Like it's, it's not a place where you do well, if you just kind of dip your toe in the pool and play around with whatever, like you, this is a, an operation that requires technical knowledge. It requires uh, a dark side, you know, cognizance. It requires all those other things. And it's expensive. Um, so if you're not a major enterprise and you can't find the people and you don't know what technology to buy and you don't really understand the space, just like you would do with your taxes or with finance or marketing, find a firm that that's what they do and help have them help you. Does that mean that you abandon all responsibility? No, but that means that you find a group that is specialized in that offering. And they can take care of that for you. That has SLAs and all those other cool things that we deal with. And then you can go back to doing what you do. Like I was doing a consulting gig with a candy company. I won't say the name. They were going to build a multi-million-dollar sock. And I was like, why? You guys make candy. So find an MSP that does this for you. And they just kind of said, well, we weren't, we weren't comfortable with outsourcing. It was like, but you don't, you don't do this. You know what I mean? So stop wasting your money. Like if I was the CEO, I would be looking at this and going, well, "No, we're not. We're not doing that. Like we have other people that can do this. We make candy. Don't be a candy cybersecurity company. Be a candy company." I love that. Cost benefit. I think it's so well. important. Yeah, cost benefit. That's just one of the the benefits to it. There's also the
0: expertise. And if, with that candy story, there there is an ongoing cost, right? You build a multi million dollar sock, but the the uplift and I say uplift a lot. But the uh, the the ongoing cost of hosting your own sock. You talk about people. You talk about resource. You talk about energy consumption. Everything goes into it. It's not
1: just a multi million dollar sock build. It's a multi million dollar ongoing support cost. And there's there's software that you can use that will help you do that stuff better and have command and control and understand what's going on. Just like like I'm a small business owner. I don't I suck at taxes guess what i have someone that does my stuff for me and i use quickbooks so that i can track things and pay attention to it but i don't have a degree in finance um and i'm never gonna sit down and actually do my taxes so like it's it's the same thing you're just for some reason like cyber is like we have to do it ourselves like no not really i mean you there's things you should have understanding and control of and you should definitely be um operationally integrated into that whole cycle But if you're not doing cyber, don't do cyber, I guess, would be the easiest way to put it.
0: From putting myself again in in the role of a CISO or even at a small business where there's potentially one guy running IT and security, how do I justify upwards the the premise of an MSSP
1: to take care of when budgets are tight in this economic uh, downturn? I mean, I've ask two questions. Number one, are you going to give me more staff to do this myself? Because one person probably can't do it. And they're going to say, because, you know, no one wants to spend money on people. And then if that's a no, the next thing is, well, how are we going to keep up with a space that is constantly changing when I have one person and I got to eat and sleep and take vacations and et cetera, et cetera. It just is not scalable. So what do we do? we outsource it. I mean, it it just, it's, it's those simple like business decisions that should just be part of that conversation. It shouldn't be, I don't have the best cool technology. It shouldn't be, I don't know much about hacking or whatever else. It's like, we have to defend our business. This is what puts money in people's bank accounts so that they can um, do what they got to do. And the way that we defend this space is with the best posture. The best posture comes from the best resources. The best resources may not be just me. So let's, bring those partners in and have them help us.
0: Gabe, what are your thoughts on MSSPs? You and I work with uh, a lot of MSSPs across uh, the territory daily. Um, in terms of the the adoption of that security service uh, from some of these providers, um, what are your thoughts on, from an organizational perspective, on, uh, on why organizations should uh, leverage an MSSP?
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, very much the same, right? They provide a lot of amazing value. They've got the expertise. There's a huge addressable market because you aren't able to scale those skills potentially as an organization yourself. So I think, um, yeah, absolutely. And it depends on the size and type of the organization as well. Chase just alluded to major enterprises might insource their own SOC, but, you know, in the upper commercial market or upper enterprise, um, you know, there's a need to get the partnering model right. And that's absolutely like the space that we work in. So... For sure. Yeah. And providing a, a managed security service is different expertise than providing, you know, managed IT services and things like that. So absolutely.
0: Yeah, I think that's key. You need to, uh, and for organizations out mm-hmm. there that are going to take the path of an MSSP is identify what your requirements are, what your network looks like. Is it primarily OT that is the the generative uh, economic piece to your organization? Is that what's driving the, the, the influx of money? Is it IT centric? Uh, what are you looking for in terms of an MSSP? Go out to market from an MSSP and ask the hard questions. Don't be afraid to ask the questions that may seem hard, uh, especially with some of the breaches that are happening in the last couple of years. They're targeting those jump hosts and then finding their way into networks through those MSSPs. So ask the hard questions. What does their security posture look like uh, before you make decisions on MSSPs? But I absolutely agree with both of you. Chase, before we wrap up the episode, you see a lot of vendors, and I got to spend a lot of time with you at RSA a couple of years ago, and we had a lot of vendors come past and and throw their pitch your way. I just wanted to get your uh, your insights as to what are the next vendors, what does the next technologies look like, where, where are we at in terms of the the up and comers?
1: I think the new stuff that's coming in is is some of it's going to be using some of the self sovereign things where you're going to move away from um, hardcore passwords, and even biometrics will become more part of that. But the other side really is just, uh, we're we're starting to see a little bit of, a I guess you'd call it a gravitation towards what we originally started with the premise of ZT, which was data security. And I think it's because technology has finally gotten to a place where we can actually do things that matter in the context of data. Data is the most difficult thing, in my opinion, to do anything with in the space because I use data, the term data very broadly, but it is uh, ethereal, it's generated all the time, and it is exceptionally valuable for the business. So being able to apply controls has been notably difficult, but we're starting to see some inter- interesting and innovative approaches to, to solving that problem. There's, a, I just remember one
0: story that we had uh, sitting down at a bar and and uh, a vendor came in and, and was pitching us a story. And, and within 10 minutes, there was another gentleman from uh, Forrester in the, in the bar with us. And we had developed three go-to-market strategies for them to take away within 10 minutes and two beers. It was, it was a Never wild experience for it, you know, like <laughs> Wait, none of us. go, okay, Yeah. Yeah. The well, ones you miss out yeah. on. Yeah. It's terrible. Hey, Chase, is there anything you wanted to add there, Gabe, before I wrap up the episode?
2: Oh, good to go. Oh, it's always very insightful. I like the mix of um, hard truths with Chase and then the, you know, the slam dunk on the banter. So really appreciate, always appreciate the laughs in between.
1: I mean, you guys are awesome, and thanks for including me, and congrats on all your success and you know the help you're doing for clients. Um, it's, it's just uh, it's encouraging to see other people that actually care. We appreciate
0: that, Chase. We appreciate your time. I said earlier time is the only quantifiable measure of life, so the fact that you're on here with us for the last hour and for the audience that are listening over the last 45, 46-ish minutes, we appreciate your time spent listening to us carry on for this time. You can reach out to Chase. He has a very uh, wild and and lovable LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, uh, and all the (laughs) things. He has a podcast called the Dr. Zero Trust Podcast. Get involved. He also has a weekly update on his LinkedIn feed too. So get around Chase. uh, Support what he is doing as the, the global yeoman for the work that we are trying to achieve. Thanks again for joining us, Chase.
1: Awesome.
2: If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to our YouTube channel or leave us a rating on your favorite podcast platform. See you on the next episode of Dark Mode.